You are listening to episode 125 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is family reunions based on Genesis 46 through 50. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things, or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is family reunions. Have you ever been to a family reunion? I know a lot of us do some kind of reunion around the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. You get together with your family and oftentimes there's feasting and activities. But because I'm talking to you travelers, I'm talking about a family reunion where you go to a destination to spend time with your family. I'm specifically talking about family far more extended than just your immediate family. I've been on a couple family reunions, one, a couple of them to Branson, actually, one to Disney World, and another one that happened in Tennessee. And all I remember from that one is really going rafting and diving off the cliffs, cliff diving, I guess, because the moms didn't love it, but the dads did. And we had a lot of fun, and my brother was super young at the time and was a little afraid of bugs, and a butterfly landed on him, and he almost jumped off that cliff. Um, And luckily, like, it would have been fine, but you'd rather go down in a more controlled way. Anyway, those are some of the family reunions that come to mind right away, and this summer we did one in Branson, which was super fun, is us and some cousins and my aunt and uncle. And we just had a lot of fun visiting the amusement park in Branson and zip lining and this thing called Snowflex where you get in a tube and you go down on white turf. So basically because Branson never gets cold enough for snow, they came up with this cool way that you can go tubing any time of the year. And then... Um, with the misters, the like sprinkler system that they have going on, it's really great on a hot, miserable day to just cool off as you go down and then ride the conveyor ba- belt up to the top. And we celebrated our anniversary. Like it was just a lot of fun things with family. However, we're talking today about Joseph finally getting reunited with his father. Over the past couple chapters, we've been reading that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He ended up a servant to Potiphar and then a slave, and that now he is governor of Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh. And he's been working on his brothers, seeing if they're truly repentant, seeing if their hearts have changed or not. And what this has led up to is this moment where the brothers had to journey home and tell their father their brother Joseph was still alive. And as we read at the end of the last chapter in 45, Joseph's father, Jacob or Israel, uh, God gave him a second name, 
he doesn't immediately believe this, but then he sees this huge procession of carts and wagons and everything that's going to help move them. And then he comes to believe, indeed, his son is alive. But what scripture doesn't tell us is how that conversation went. If the brothers were truly repentant, which is what Joseph was testing, did the brothers actually admit to their father that they'd they'd thrown his favorite son into a pit and sold him into slavery? Or was it something that came up in conversation once uh, Jacob slash Israel, once he actually gets to Egypt? Or or do they tell a half-truth or, or some other misguided version of the truth? It's not really the point here, but you, you get this sense of anticipation, what they must have all been talking about on the path, on their way back home. And their little brother, Benjamin, is totally listening. He's 20 now, 20 years old now, but he was totally listening that whole time. And then they get home and they tell their father and he doesn't believe. And then he comes to accept. And now he's like, I get to go see my son before he dies. But then he remembers this promise that has been handed down to him. God promised. God made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they would have this great nation, but they had one son named Isaac. Isaac married Rebekah. They had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob ends up marrying Rachel and Leah. He gets the second name of Israel from the Lord because he wrestled with the Lord, and they collectively, along with Rachel and Leah's servants, end up having 12 sons, which would later become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 sons now have multiple more sons. And this chapter starts off by retelling all of the names and all of these people and who all of these descendants were. And there were like 66 or 70 different descendants that march across the land with Jacob slash Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to go keep calling him Jacob only because the Lord also calls him Jacob, which I am so confused by, to be completely honest, because God made a huge point of your name will be Israel. And then Jacob was still living in this sense of fear and doubt and uncertain if people would accept his new identity. And so then God made a huge point of saying, or your name is Israel. But yet in this chapter, we see that Jacob is wrestling with, do I have permission to go to this other land, to Egypt? Because God had promised the land of Canaan to Abraham and on down through his descendants to him. And that still wasn't truly the case. Like, he was still a nomad in this promised land. And so he's a little afraid to leave. So at least he does the right thing. He turns to Lord, which as travelers, when we have a destination in mind, when we have something somewhere we want to go, we need to remember the promises of the Lord and also turn to the Lord and say, hey, is this really where you want me going? So we see this wonderful example. And then the caravan begins because the Lord says, Jacob, which again, this is where I'm a little confused, but the Lord says, Jacob, you can go and your son Joseph will be the one to bury you or close your eyes and in turn that he will end up dying in the land of Egypt. Now, a little back history in this time. 
There was a lot of belief that gods, plural, lowercase g, of that day and age were very regional. They had territories that they would defend and have authority over. And so if you came from another region and um, you went to another place, your god couldn't go with you necessarily. Or if two clans were fighting and one won, then the assumption was that other god was stronger and mightier than the losing opponent's god. So the assumption also could have been, is God our mighty father, capital G God, have small territorial boundaries too? But God was saying, I am the creator of all. These other false idols are not me, and I have authority over the whole world. Therefore, you can go to Egypt because I'm not just here in the land of Canaan. Either way, God sets the stage and they begin this lovely caravan march out. And on their way, they're marching and they're recounting the descendants of Jacob, saying, you know, he had 12 sons between Rachel, Leah, and their two servants. And then they had grandkids and some great grandkids, I think, even in there. And there were like 66 plus people traveling in this caravan moving to the land of Egypt. So when they finally get to the city, Jacob and Joseph are reunited and there's tears and Jacob has peace and says, Lord, you can take me now. I've seen my son. Whatever happens, happens. I am at peace now, which he's been mourning his son for 15 to 30 years. And they are in the third year of the famine and he's just like, life is fine now. It doesn't matter. All is well because I have seen my son and I know he's all right. And then Jacob goes ahead and instructs his brothers that in this land, in Egypt, being shepherds is highly frowned upon. So he tells them not to say that they are herders, but to say they are carers of livestock because he's going to go take a select few of them before the pharaoh to introduce them and, and bring his father along as well but his brothers don't listen and they introduce themselves as shepherds and yet the pharaoh still says go and have the greatest of lands of goshen near ramses and it can be yours which is kind of it just shows you how much respect Pharaoh had for Joseph because in their, in Egyptian culture, their gods were represented by animals. So their great gods were a bull and a cow. And these would have been like Pharaoh represent Pharaoh. Maybe it's because of this, that in their culture, anyone who takes care of lesser animals like sheep would have been seen as lesser in their culture or maybe it was just their pyramid scheme of um they had very strict societal standards and shepherd or herder herdsmen would have been pretty low on that scale that societal scale but yet they are still given these great things and jacob blesses pharaoh multiple times while in his presence Maybe even Pharaoh knew that there would be huge blessings that would come out of this because he recognized maybe that Joseph's God was 
significant to have been able to get them through this famine, to be able to do all these things. Whatever the case, the pharaoh respects Joseph's family and lets them settle in Goshen. So they're in the third year of the famine. And they're running low on all resources and things to give the king. So then they they end up giving up all of their money. And the following year, they end up giving up all of their livestock to the king in exchange for food. And then they realize that, you know, they don't want to die. So they decide to sell themselves and their land to Pharaoh in exchange um, for food. And it's not that they were selling themselves into slavery per se, but they were more selling themselves to be sharecroppers. Essentially, um, a sharecropper typically in that time period would have, uh, the owner of the land would have been able to take a third of their crop and then the farmer would have been able to keep two thirds for their own livelihood and for their own sale. Well, Pharaoh is so kind, he only takes one fifth of it and says the rest of it you get a keep so they're really excited about this deal that they've struck with pharaoh and obviously they're doing all right now because now they're also getting grain that they can plant and eventually after seven years they end up out of this famine but we get to this point that jacob is realizing it's the end of his days and so he is introduced to his grandsons sons of joseph ephraim and manasseh and Jacob blesses both of them, but your right hand is considered the one that would have given the greater blessing. Rather than laying the right hand on the older son and the left hand on the younger son, he crosses his arms and gives the greater blessing to the younger son intentionally, which just, to me, continues this whole trend of some family drama going on with the younger sibling because we get, you know, Sarah and Abraham having a son in their later years, God calling them to sacrifice the child, but not, and then Isaac having two twins, but there's favoritism between them, thanks to Rebecca, so the younger sibling gets all the blessings, plus he also wrestles it from Esau, and then, you know, there was favoritism towards Benjamin and to Joseph, the youngest of the siblings of the twelve, so, and now we're going to pass it on to fourth generation. Like, to me, there there shows that there's sin even in this great family. But that aside, in the end, Jacob ends up adopting these two grandsons. He he doesn't say that any of the great-grandchildren or anyone else in the family would get adopted, but they will have the same blessings and honors that God has given to Abraham and passed down. These will go also to Ephraim and Manasseh. And then Jacob, on his dying bed, lines up his 12 sons, and he honestly, like, I don't know, it'd be a little uncomfortable in the room at this time because he recounts all of their sins or, like, some of their most significant ones. And he also grants them their blessings, his dying rights. And he tells them what their blessings will look like, and really, they'll become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these blessings and future promises will end up being what is a characteristic of each of these tribes. For instance, Judah is the one that has the most blessings coming out of it, which is Judah will be the tribe that Jesus will come from. He will be the Messiah that comes from the line of Judah. Issachar will be like a donkey, meaning he'll be lazy and he they won't reach their full potential. 
in servitude and in honor to the Lord. There's just a lot of weird similarities, and I really encourage you to read Genesis 49 because it's very fascinating. And then as soon as he gets done blessing all of his sons, he breathes his last, and Joseph, just as the Lord promised, ends up being the one to close his eyes. Then what I find really interesting here is Jacob is actually, at least in my understanding, he's mummified. It's a 40-day mummification process, and Joseph instructs the Egyptians to, uh, you know, go through the burial process for Jacob. And so there's 40 days of this and 70 days of mourning happening at the same time. And then Joseph asks Pharaoh's friends to give a plea to Pharaoh that he may go and fulfill his oath to his father because he had sworn, put his hand under his father's thigh and said he would go bury him in the land that they bought and prepared for his burial with uh, his wife Leah. I think honestly this might have been in Israel. Pharaoh says yes and so there's this huge procession. Many of Jacob's descendants except for like the children left to care for the flocks They left with Joseph, and a lot of the Pharaoh's officials went alongside, and they all wept. They mourned for him at the burial site for seven days, so much so that the Canaanites noticed all of this happening. They actually changed the name where the burial site was because they noticed just how much the Egyptians were mourning the loss of this individual. So then they make their trek back, And then the brothers freak out because they fear that now that Joseph is out of the picture, Jacob will turn on them and actually seek his revenge. But again, Joseph reaffirms them. I am here for a purpose and God is working in the midst of all of this. And then he makes them swear that when he dies, Joseph dies, and they eventually leave Egypt, that they will take his body with him. And so... Joseph dies at the age of 110. They bury him in Egypt with the thought that, well, we're about to get into Exodus, which is obviously when Moses comes along and the great Exodus happens. But there's 400 years of them being in Egypt as slaves first. So there's a lot that's going to happen, but this might not be what you typically think of as a family reunion. But I think this is a great demonstration of the type of reunion the Lord has planned for us in heaven. See, it started off with, first of all, God saying that this is his will, that his authority is far greater than just the land of Canaan, and that is okay to go to Egypt. So the Lord has a place prepared for us in heaven. And when they marched, they recounted all of their family members. The Lord knows your name. It is written in his hand. And the Lord knows you by name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you individually and personally. And then they get there and there's this great weeping of tears and joy and excitement. And just imagine the embrace the Lord will give you when you get to heaven. And then the Pharaoh gives them like the greatest place to live. And what better place than the place that the Lord has prepared for us, Um, obviously. We know that that place is reserved for those who believe, and those who do not obviously will end up in hell, but we pray that so many more will come to believe and know the Lord as our Savior. And then 
I think of the fact that when Jacob went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh probably recognized that this was an older gentleman. And Jacob has said, I've been a nomad for a few years, 130 years. That's how long he'd been alive. He'd been a nomad in Canaan. He, in Canaan, he hadn't really settled down in his life time. And for us who like the idea of traveling, I don't know, could you travel full time for 130 years to have no place to call home to, um, be living truly in the promises of the Lord passed down generation after generation, knowing someday you will be able to settle in the land of Canaan? I hope so. I hope that we could rest in promises and trust the Lord so fully. But sometimes I, I realize that if I don't get what I want right away, I, I become greedy and jealous and angry, and I turn against the Lord in sin. And as travelers, we and as people in our culture today, we can be so tempted to be greedy and want things instantaneously. But there's there's a gift the Lord has given that us, and that is the gift of patience. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So in closing out these thoughts, I hope that your heart is excited and thrilled for the biggest family reunion the one in heaven that beats all of these amazing places that we get to travel here now. I hope that you are traveling, though, in the present to begin to understand further how great and vast our God is, that his power isn't just where you reside, but it is throughout the whole world. And no matter what chaos you see around you, he is still working good and amazing things. And as a traveler, you have a special mission, one that goes far beyond yourself, uh, to be spreading that gospel, to be sharing God's love and truth. The truth is what sets us free. So rest in that, but know that because you have the Lord has given you a passion for travel, that means he's going to bring you into groups of people far different from your own. And you have a mission and a purpose and a story to tell, a travel testimony worth telling so that one day the party in heaven will be that much bigger because you helped plant a seed, water a seed, um, and the Lord brought it to f- full bloom. So would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord, we look forward to the day when we get to have a family reunion where we get to be in your presence in the place that you have prepared for us. But today as we travel, may our hearts and minds be open to your guidance and your leading, that we may connect with those around us that you also want to join us in heaven and celebrate, which you want every person on earth to know your name and to cl- to declare you as king in their hearts and in their souls. So Lord, in everything that we do, may we give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, Christian travelers, I am so glad that you tuned in today. And I have a closing question and thought but before I do. I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you will find out about some of our upcoming epic retreats opportunities to connect with other Christians 
who love to travel. And we have one retreat coming up very soon. It's in January in Punta Cana. Early bird cutoff is September 25th with full registration closing in early October. So don't miss your chance to get your spot. And I look forward to connecting with you there. Um, And then obviously we have other faith and traveler resources on our website as well. If you'd like to support this podcast and our organization, a few of the ways that you can do that is by leaving a review, subscribing to this podcast, and sharing this episode with a friend. All of those help us to connect with more Christians who enjoy travel and help us to spread the word that travel is far more than what our world tends to tell us it is. It is something that was done in biblical times because it was a way of life and it it can teach us so much about how to travel today in the present. So thank you so much for your support. It is such a blessing to get to share God's word and speak with you each and every single week. And I want to conclude with final thought and question. Joseph was put there by the Lord in Egypt to save a people from a famine. This led to his father joining him in Egypt, and as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, it eventually led to other pharaohs taking reign and enslaving Jacob's family and their descendants. They become a huge, massive people. They are enslaved and treated poorly. Things are not going as planned. They make an exodus that will proclaim who the Lord is and what his mighty power is. And if all of these tragedies and blessings hadn't happened, the Egyptians might never have known who our God truly is. And what in your life has been a tragedy, something that has gone utterly chaotic in your view? Or in the world's view. But yet ended up proclaiming even more so who God is. Cling to that this week. In fact, take some time and write this down. Share it with a friend. Send me an email. Any of these methods to just get that thought out there. Because that is a piece of your travel testimony. A story that can help better share the story of Christ. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.